As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. We have Ned Lamont, the Democratic governor from Connecticut, who has been in office since 2019. Thank you so much for joining us. And there are a lot of people who live here. It was really easy for them to come to this conference, many of them who lived in New York City prior to the pandemic, many people who have come, including businesses. How do you as the governor plan to keep them considering the pull, the lure of low tax states? I think we have one of the great education systems in the country. So a lot of people want to come here for their families to start things up. Stanford, Greenwich has become a real financial center, fintech center, you know, cryptocurrency, financial services. Obviously, we've got the insurance capital of the world. So there's a great ecosystem and base for finance. And I think a lot of we've had a lot of finance companies come up to Connecticut over the last few years. And we've noticed that, right, with all of them moving their headquarters to both Connecticut and also to Florida because it's a low tax state. Uh, you're running against Bob Stefanowski and there are about 30 days left in this election cycle. He's been espousing lowering taxes. You've previously raised taxes. How do you sort of speak to this issue, given that you talk about the education system, you talk about some of the services? that cost money? Well, to be exact, we inherited a $2 billion budget deficit as far as the eye can see, and we balanced that by holding the line on spending. It was the first governor in 30 years not to raise income taxes. And this last year, um, we put in place the biggest middle-class tax cut there is, but um, making life a little more affordable in this inflationary time. But figure you're right. I've got in place a rainy day fund. I'm going to hear from the finance people here today. Whether I'm erring on the side of caution, I hope I am, but um, I'm going to be ready. You said that you're going to be listening to Ray Dalio talk about how the world's about to uh, implode, and then you're going to sit there and hide under your chair as you try to prepare (laughs) your budget. How do you plan to uh, really withstand whatever is to come, given the negativity out there and given that it is hard to borrow right now with rates where they are? Well, two things. I've got a 15 percent of our budget set aside in cash. We call it the rainy day fund. So if capital gains uh, start slipping, which it already has, you know, we'll be ready. I don't have to raise taxes. I don't have to cut education, you know, funding going forward. I budgeted very conservative for this fiscal year. I think we could see sort of the storm clouds out there. I assumed uh, we were going to have less revenues this year already. So I think we're ready for what uh, may be coming. 
I go back to the election cycle, because this is the midterm election cycle, as I'm sure you are more aware of than anybody else. And Bob Sifanowski, uh, your opponent, does keep talking about the importance of keeping some of the businesses here to keep the revenues. How do you balance lowering taxes to be competitive with states that have really drawn a lot of Wall Street businesses with needing the money to actually make the state livable? <laughs> Look, we had a couple of Fortune 500 companies move into the state. We had dozens of other companies. But, Lisa, more importantly, a lot of our local companies are growing and expanding big time. We had new, more new business startups than ever before. You know, I've often said I don't want more taxes, but I don't mind more taxpayers. Our economic pie is growing, and that's why we have a surplus. So your tone has shifted a little bit in the election cycle with more focus on just get out and vote. Why is there the emphasis on getting people to vote? Do you think that there is something that will keep Democrats home? I think anger sometimes motivates people. I'm more optimistic. I believe in the state. I got to make people believe we're turning things around. We're making progress every day. And I don't want people to be complacent. I want you to have a stake in this election. So yeah, vote. All right. So going forward, uh, how concerned are you about some of the businesses that have been leaving, given uh, the low tax issue and given the fact yeah. that some of the revenues are going to be strained for possibly years if what Ray Dalio says comes to pass? I think a lot of the companies that are coming to Connecticut and staying in Connecticut, A, respect tax stability. They know that for the first time in years we have not raised taxes. That makes a big deal. But it's, it's bigger than that. Again, they love the best education system in the country. They love the fact that we provide job training so they'll get the people they need and the skills they need. Do you feel like there's a shift right now? And we talk about this all the time on Bloomberg Surveillance, about how there is constraint on the fiscal response to crises at this moment. Because when you're dealing with inflation, you're dealing with a situation where you cannot borrow money in the same kind of way. How are you preparing for that with the lack of ability to plug gaps with simply selling bonds. Hey, look, there's a big macroeconomic world out there, and we're a small piece of it. We get buffeted by international and national things. All I can do is prepare. And I prepared by uh, you know, making sure we have a lot of dry powder, as I suggested before, billions of dollars set aside. I can't go out and borrow my way out of this. Maybe that's a little game they play in Washington. You can't do that at the state level. And when you look out today and you hear all of these executives of major alternative investment firms, many of which, including Apollo, we're going to be speaking with Apollo coming up, have moved recently to Connecticut. What are you listening to? What have you heard from them that you find most compelling to sort of shape your narrative going forward? I think they like being here. They don't necessarily have to be in New York City or Boston, depending, uh, you know, five days a week. Maybe it's one or two days a week. Otherwise, I think they like the lifestyle here. They like the ecosystem. They like the fact we have a very well-trained, smart, educated workforce. It helps them grow and expand right here. Do you have more uh, tax hikes planned for anyone? I know that there were tax hikes overall, perhaps not for the middle class, but overall there were some uh, tax hikes that you did with your first budget. Do you plan on doing that again, or was that a one-time thing? No, we didn't, we didn't do that. As I said, I was the first guy not to raise the income tax you know, on anybody. And we're not doing that. People want tax stability. They want to say, what's the state not only look like now, but what's it going to look like in five years so they can plan accordingly? Look, I come out of the business world. I need to know what the world's going to look like in a few years so I can put together my projections and make them happen. Why are you a Yankees fan? 
They like to win. <laughs> hey, blow, blow <laughs> after the Mets bad, losing. Bad and we are looking at a situation <laughs> after the Mets going on. And you've been trying to encourage C.V. Cohen, who is also a resident of your state, to buy your uh, local team. Is that correct? Yeah, we have the Yard Goats. It's an amazing uh, minor league <laughs> uh, baseball team up in Hartford. Yeah. And uh, I've often thought, boy, if you want to get a foothold here bigger in Connecticut, buy the Yard Goats and make them a uh, Mets franchise. So that's your pitch to him? That's he, my pitch. Is he, so give us the inside scoop. Is he going to buy? I think he plays his cards pretty close to the best. <laughs> I think so, too. <laughs> Ned Lamont, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Ned Lisa. Lamont, governor of Connecticut here with us in Greenwich. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Right now, we have someone who has been in the bond market for decades, Jim Zelter, co-president of Apollo Global, who has really helped found the entire credit business, which now has more than $350 billion of assets under management. And as John's been talking about all morning, this was the day of bond vigilantes. This is the year of bond vigilantes. And this is raising so much fear among people who have gotten used to zero rates over such a long period of time. Are you more nervous today or more excited? Well, you got to respect it. Um, first of all, nice, nice to be here this morning. Um, you know, certainly there's a big paradigm shift going on right now, and you have to respect the markets. Uh, you, as you said, the bond vigilantes, they'll get rates where they should be, uh, more so than the Fed or the central banks. But um, it's an interesting paradigm shift where you see where rates have been, and we've been in this period where uh, there's been an undue focus on low rates, and it's put valuations very, very high. So it's a period of transition. You have to respect it, but also you want to be on your front foot, which we've been able to do over the last several months and will continue to do so. What does that mean? Well, what it really means is if you've been prudent the last decade and not, not been over your skis and, and valuations and have been thoughtful about what you put on the books, there's a very interesting time. The cost of capital now matters, purchase price matters, and those who have capital and have a lot of flexibility in their toolbox, you will find many interesting companies from which to give capital to. Are you taking more risk right now or less risk than you were a month ago? You know, we, we're, we're measured. Uh, we, we run a very, very large platform, as you said, over $550 billion in aggregate, over almost $400 billion in, in debt. You really can't pick the bottom. Um, it's really impossible to predict. You can prepare along the way. But we are, we are methodically putting opportunities to work. Um, we've been active in the CLO market. We've been active in working with some of the banks on the large stock syndications, Citrix in particular. So, you know, I think I, I have a healthy respect for what's going on, but I don't think we are in the corner cowering by any means. I love the sanitized language that you're using. And then I think about some of the stories that we've written, including you're talking about CLOs. We've 
worked with banks. We've helped them. You made yeah. incredible amounts of money, especially recently with UK CLOs in the wake of some of the volatility. With Citrix, the banks that are all with all of these uh, hung bridge loans, right? Commitments that they made to finance mergers and acquisitions that are perhaps not priced the way that they were at the time of commitment. Mm -hmm. How many opportunities do you have to go in and buy some of these assets for the banks? Well, if you just put today in context with a decade or so ago, in the, in the GFC, the banks were arguably long 500 plus billion of loans and high yield. Today, that number is circa 80 to 100 billion. So it's a much smaller opportunity set uh, and much fewer, you know, not, not as many names. So we, we have a constant dialogue. We're a very active trader with the banks. You know, uh, no permanent friends, no permanent enemies. You know, we, we act, we act very, very in, in great dialogue with them. But on certain names, we, we, will, we will partner um, in, in many regions, especially in the U.S. and Europe, with the large banks. Are they willing to sell? Well, I think I think it's it's you you have to have a realistic dialogue, and it's it's a it's a challenging position. I think they want to move on. They want to get back in business. I mean, the reality is the high yield financing markets are arguably shut down right now. Um, and I think that they would like to be in a position to be able to make new loans at appropriate levels and get paid fairly for those. So it's going to be an interesting period of transition between now and the end of the year. Traditionally, alternative asset managers, including Apollo, have liked investing in credit that is not traded very often, right? You invest in a company, you get more control, you also have higher yield. Is that the same now, or do you find more opportunities in the public credit markets, given that yields are now north of 10% in many cases, and uh, arguably north of 8% even for pretty high-rated credits? Well, there's a lot, a lot you brought up there. Um, you know, in our credit business, we are really a performing investor. We're, we're looking to uh, extend, extend capital to companies that are growing and get paid back. So there's not really a distressed angle in our typical credit business. Um, to you, as you ra raised, um, there are when you have the dislocation we've had thus far, there are opportunities in the public markets with in the investment grade market, uh, with low dollar price, long duration assets, pretty interesting opportunities. In the private markets, you know, new capital is coming with better terms and better pricing. So you're at this unique period right now where there's actually opportunities in the higher end of both of those markets. It's interesting. High yield on a yield basis is somewhat attractive. On a spread basis, it's sort of historical levels. You know, the, the, the spreads this morning are mid-500s, approaching 600. That's typically a time when, when you get interested in high yield. Uh, right now, the yields are approaching 10%, which is a very attractive number. So, you know, it's, our, it's my view that, you know, having done this for a few decades now, things are happening faster and faster and faster. The rate rise in the U.S. and globally in the last, you know, six months has been historic in not only the speed which it's happened, but also the amount. And in the past, that might have happened over 12, 18, 24 months. So it's my suspicion that by the time we really are officially in a recession in 23 or 24, the opportunity to buy paper will, some of it will have evaporated. So you have to be measured and patient along the way. Do you think we're going to see a default cycle akin to what we saw in 2008 or even some of the prior ones in yeah. the early 2000s? Yes, you will see some degree of a default cycle. You, you can't slow down the economy with the breaks that the, the uh, monetary policy is leading to today without expecting some accidents. It's going to happen. 
resi, resi mortgages have gone from the low to mid twos to north of 6%. There's going to be a default cycle. It may not be as pervasive, it may not be as wide and deep, but there will be some companies, and also not only the amount of debt, but the actual interest costs have, have, have uh, increased dramatically on a floating rate basis. What's more attractive to you at this point, looking for those idiosyncratic companies where you want to invest in or investing in niche investors, uh, actually going to other asset managers and saying, we'll give you money, we'll give you a stake in uh, our assets and go at it? Well, my answer is obviously both. Um, you know, you're alluding to our recent announcements in Diameter, in Sofanova, uh, in Haveli. These are all great managers that have proven their, their wisdom and their judgment over time in their, in their strategies. We're providing capital for them to grow. Uh, at the same time, we're very active on our own account. So, you know, we have, we have a large platform. We're connected to a lot of folks. Um, but I think from us, you'll see a strategy of being able to do both of those uh, in concert. You mentioned CLOs, and I mentioned the United Kingdom. I know that that has been a public uh, issue in terms of how much money you made buying CLOs at the right time and then seeing a policy response from the Bank of England. How much are you playing in the UK market right now? Well, I, I think from our perspective, the UK market, you know, it's, it is a robust economy going through some great challenges. And, you know, we were very active in uh, post the GFC in the resi marketplace over there. I, I suspect in the residential market and the commercial real estate market, you'll see us active over the next couple of years as they go through their challenges in the economy. Um, it's early. You know, really our activity in the CLO market was really U.S. and broadly Europe with some in the U.K. Um, but as you said earlier, like the CLO market right now, if you look at the most senior tranches, um, it's a pretty draconian assumption. They're assuming 10 plus percent defaults for the next five years which we think in some cases is an opportunity to be a buyer. And is in Europe a similar story kind of taking place, or is that Yes, yeah, so I mean, you, you, in my view, Europe is a bit behind uh, the U.S. in terms of it's always um, a bit tighter when the market's tight, and it, and, it, and it accentuates the wides in periods of volatility. So there's plenty for us to focus on right now in the U.S. I think Europe and the U.K. will be a 23 and 24 opportunity set. But certainly the U.S. is our primary focus right now. When we talk about investing alongside some uh, smaller niche investors, do you have any interest in a big European bank that might be going through some distress, that might be splitting up certain aspects of its uh, business? Would you ever be interested in acquiring certain aspects of that business? Well, you know, over the last, as I said, since, since 0809, there's been many instances in 2012 and 2015 where we had strategies that really partnered with the banks or were an off-tank for the banks. Whether it was credit card subsidiaries in Spain and Ireland, whether it was poor, uh, real estate portfolios in, in Germany and in the UK, we were all, always there as a partner, just like we were in 08 and 09 for the US banks. So if there's a global bank and they are considering large-scale strategic transactions, we certainly expect to be part of those dialogues. How much does your base case include four to four and a half percent Fed funds rates for perhaps a year or even two? You know, I, I think that's got to be the base case. You, we're in a higher rate regime that has shocked the system and, and the monetary policy makers are trying to really shock the economy on this, on this uh, nasty uh, concept of inflation. 
So you have to expect we're in a higher rate period for some period of time. We're not macro investors. You've got plenty of other folks that can come up here and talk to you. But we're certainly in a higher rate regime for some period of time. And that's definitely shaping this view in terms of what's required in terms of payment from a lot of these companies. Jim Zelter, thank you so much for taking the time. Always a pleasure. Uh, Co-president of Apollo Global. Lucky this morning, not just because we have Mohammed Al-Aryan around the table with us, but also because we're joined by Nadia Calvino, the Deputy Prime Minister of Spain. Madam Vice President, fantastic to have you with us in the building. Thanks for having me. Let's start here. The prospect of joint debt to do something about the energy crisis in Europe. Is that something you think we can find agreement on at the European level? Well, when we were hit by the pandemic, Europe reacted in a very decisive manner on the basis of unity and solidarity. I think that now, this time around, that we're faced with global challenges again, uh, a war at the doorstep of Europe, we should react with the same principles. You know, whether that entails additional debt issuance or not, we will see. But in any case, we should act, you know, together in a decisive manner to tackle these challenges. Based on preliminary discussions with, say, the Germans, have they conveyed to you that that's something they would support? We were with, actually, we had the bilateral summit between Spain and Germany this last week, and we had uh, an exchange with the ministers, also with, with the Chancellor Scholz. He was one of the persons that was behind the issuance of joint debt to address and to tackle the challenges from the pandemic. Uh, we didn't go into, into the details, but I am quite sure that Germany is aware of the need to react in a, in a manner which makes us stronger and allows us to, to face the current challenges in the best possible manner for our populations too. Your Excellency, there is a market consensus developing that this is going to be a very difficult winter for Europe, a winter that may see Europe fall into recession. What's not clear is the length and depth of this potential recession. Do we have any indicators of what happens if indeed Europe falls into recession this winter? Well, I think what, what, ha- what will happen will depend on what we do. Uh, that is something I think we have learned in the last three years. So I am not really uh, deterministic in the sense of this is what's going to happen. We need to now take the right decisions to avoid uh, this uh, situation arising. We're meeting this week in the in the World Bank and IMF um, annual meetings. Uh, this is a very challenging and delicate point in time. The global economy is slowing down. Inflation is is increasing in, in some Western economies. But I hope that we are able to make the right decisions to avoid these scenarios to arise in practice. And what do we say to people who say the initial conditions are such that there's almost no policy flexibility? Um, the ECB has to address inflation. Um, fiscal space is limited. And if you go too far, the bond vigilantes may come in. Just look at what has happened to the UK. And the reality is that even if governments wish to move, the amount of measures available to them is much more limited than in the past. It is indeed tricky. It's not easy to to articulate economic policy these days. I think that one basic principle is a good coordination of monetary and fiscal policy. Uh, From the perspective of Spain, just to give you an example, we're very strongly committed to pursuing the path of deficit and debt reduction. And I think that is uh, going along and and helping monetary policy implementation in in the EU. I I do hope that we find the right balance between fighting inflation and not not endangering growth, uh, because if we want to pursue also fiscal responsibility, growth and job creation is a necessary function for it to be sustainable. Let's talk about the growth forecasts from both the Bank of Spain and from the Spanish government. The Bank of Spain, I understand, for 2023 is at 1.4%. Your government's at 2.1%. 
Do you think that articulates to the Spanish people just how much pain this economy is about to go through? One thing that's been thrown at this Federal Reserve is that their forecasts have been unrealistic, that they've been too aspirational. Is that realistic or aspirational? No, it's realistic. Uh, absolutely. In, uh, you know, we had very strong growth in 2021, around 5.5%. We're having very strong growth in 2022, around 4.4%. And that's a quite prudent forecast. And what we anticipate is a slowdown of growth in 2023, obviously. I mean, the, the European economy is very much affected by what happens in Germany. So it would be unrealistic, you know, not to think that there will be a slowdown. But all institutions, national, public, uh, private, international, they foresee the Spanish economy to continue to grow in 2023. And there are some elements that make it particularly resilient and strong at this point in time. Whether it's the Fed's aggressive interest rates hiking cycle or the strength of the dollar, there's a perception that a lot of people are going to be going to Washington and talking to the American authorities and saying, what you do here has major repercussion, not just for Europe, but beyond that, especially in the developing world. And U.S., you must have a global perspective. Do you think that's even a realistic conversation to have in Washington, D.C. these days? I do think they are well aware of the impact of their decisions throughout the world. You know, just like Putin's actions in, in Ukraine are having a worldwide impact, which is not only having to do with security, defense, not only having to do with inflation, also food security is a key issue that we will certainly be talking about in the course of this week. I, I do think that the U.S. authorities are well aware of the impact of their decisions on emerging economies and on, on inflation throughout the world and growth throughout the world, of course. Do you think they should step back? From this tiny cycle? Well, you know, I would never dare <laughs> to, say, to say anything to a monetary policy authority. Uh, I, am, I, am, I hope that they will get it right, you know, both in the US and, and in Europe. I mean, the sources of inflation are very different on both sides of the Atlantic. It's a demand-driven as well as supply-driven inflation in the case of the US. It is really a supply-side shock. You were talking about it just a moment ago. It's, it's uh, energy prices uh, going up uh, is the underlying cause of inflation inflation in the EU. That would call for a differentiated monetary policy. But as you were rightly saying, interest uh, exchange rates uh, are very, very sensitive and very important in this regard. And so that, that is driving uh, the, the relationship between monetary policy in different parts of the world. I really hope they get it right. How gloomy is this going to be in a couple of days down in Washington? How depressing is this meeting going to be? Well, I, I think that we're quite used to tackling and dealing with crisis. Uh, since you were referring to 2007, 2008, sure. I was already around at the time dealing with financial regulation. I think, you know, ever since we haven't really left a, a very complex uh, scenario where multiple interrelationships are hitting each other and having a, an effect, you know. So I think that it's good we have the G20. It's good that we're meeting this week. And I hope we do have a, a good outcome in terms of articulation of a good uh, economic policy at this point in time. Let's do that again soon. Diplomatic, as I would expect. Thank you. Nadia Calvino, the Deputy Prime Minister of Spain. Vice President, thank you. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. 
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Andrew Hollenhorst of City joins us right now, the chief U.S. economist. Andrew, let's start there. Why another 75 for you in the next month? So I, I think it really goes back to what you were just discussing, that the Fed has two issues here. One is an economic fundamentals issue. And there, that's right, there's been a lot of progress in terms of tightening financial conditions, probably further to go. A lot of that's already priced in. But then they also separately have a communication issue. And I think that's what they're managing. And that's what you see in some of those comments from Evans and from Brainerd, where, yes, of course, as interest rates get higher and you get into a range that may be more restrictive, you start thinking about should you slow down? Should you pause? The, the issue is from a communications perspective, how do you explain to markets and the public that you still have resolve in fighting inflation if you're slowing down rate hikes or you're pausing rate hikes? And it, it ultimately goes back to the data. Is the data going to give the Fed flexibility to do that? Will we see CPI slowing down? Will we see a job market that's loosening? Um, so I, I think that's what they're really watching now. Are we seeing any of those things, Are the two things that you mentioned? I think you can argue in labor markets, we maybe saw the first sign of some loosening, and you heard Vice Chair Brainerd talk about this yesterday, um, where we had job openings come off meaningfully. So we had a ratio of about two job openings to every one unemployed individual. Historically, normal ratio would be maybe one, 1.1. That came down now to 1.7 openings to every one unemployed individual. So it's moving in the right direction for the Fed if they want to see some of that excess demand coming off. However, the, the level 1.7 openings to every one unemployed individual, I mean, just intuitively, that's a lot of excess demand for labor that's still out there. And uh, Andrew, we have a big release this week, CPI. Um, is there a level that you think shakes markets confidence one way or, or the other? So consensus, I think, is uh, 8.1 annualized. Is there a, one number or do we need several numbers of a certain trend to really kind of move uh, Fed rhetoric? Yeah. Hi, Greg. I think it, it, it really is going to come down to where does that core monthly inflation number come in? That's what we saw last month where it was a stronger core reading. And Brainer talked about this yesterday. Core goods in particular stayed strong. There's a pretty broad consensus that core goods prices should be coming off. Um, until recently, at least, we had commodity prices that were moving lower, uh, used car prices that look like they should move lower. We've seen that in the wholesale prices. So we're really watching that core goods component in the release to see if that slows down. Right now, we look at that that core CPI inflation month on month. Uh, we have that at City at 0.5% month on month, consensus around 0.4% month on month. If you saw that slow down to a 0.2 or even a 0.3, that would be a signal to markets that maybe you're getting some easing in price pressure. Um, I, I think though the risks are actually still to the upside that you know, maybe we'll see that 0.4 or even 0.5 like we're projecting. Andrew, I picked up on that quote as well from Vice Chair Brainerd. She said there was ample room for margin recompression to help reduce goods inflation as demand calls, supply constraints ease and inventories increase. Andrew, tell me the part of inflation that's actually going to be stickier and then Greg and I can have a conversation about what that means for corporate profits. 
So I, I would take this back to the labor market. I think, like I was saying, there are reasons to think that core goods inflation might slow down a bit. If I look at services, labor-intensive services, and then I go back to that job market where we have 1.7 job openings for every one unemployed individual, we have wage growth, according to the Atlanta Fed wage tracker that's still running, uh, upwards of 6.7% year-on-year, average hourly earnings a little bit slower, but still well above levels that would be consistent with 2% inflation. That's that's where I really worry about persistent inflationary pressure. You'll have some pressure in rents, also in shelter prices. That's basically lagged effects from price increases that we've seen in the past, but in the past, but really non-shelter services and the tight labor market is where I would be most concerned about persistent inflationary pressure. Greg, we often talk about the S&P 500 and whether the Federal Reserve has a price target. I wonder if they've got an EPS target. Because right now you've got the vice chair telling us that there's ample room for margin recompression. Isn't that basically the Fed telling you that earnings in corporate America are going to come down? Yes, but she's not wrong either because you're looking at record profit margins, right? Well above anything we've seen uh, on a long-term trend basis. And so there is ample room, right? And so, um, you know, our expectation is profit margins to come down. I've been saying that for over a decade now. Sure. Uh, but, it, you know, from labor cost increases, just input costs generally uh, on the rise uh, and revenues slated to come down. And keep in mind, Jonathan, that... Corporates have put on all this low-cost debt. That, that's a good news, bad news story. The good news is when you know, the operating leverage is working in your favor, you, you have ample profits. Uh, uh, and when that reverses, uh, it goes the other way. So I, I think there is more of a downside deceleration or acceleration to the downside than uh, anticipated. Andrew, just final question from me to you. This 75 basis point hike in November, is that the last one of the cycle? It may be. It may be. And that's where it comes back to, does the Fed get that flexibility from the data? I think if, if you see margin compression, like you were just talking about, if you see goods inflation that's slowing, if we see a job market that looks like it's showing some signs of loosening, that would give the Fed the, at least the signs that it needs to see to start that process of slowing down. If you don't see those things, and I think that's the risk, we could get another 75 basis points at your subsequent meetings. I'm sure the market will price a pivot somewhere in between at some point in our future. Andrew, thank you. Andrew Hollenhorst over at City looking for 75 from the Fed next month. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. For insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations, and subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.